Hello and welcome to Libraries Unlimited podcast. Today we will be talking to Colin Bray, who is the Health and Wellbeing Business Development Manager. We hear about how Exeter Libraries support the homeless with Emily McCauley, the Centre Manager. And about the exciting railway collection down at Newton Abbott with Lynn West. And for our lightning book review, we talk to Heather Chapman, who works at Princeton Library, right in the middle of Dartmoor, and also Tavistock Library. Hi Callum, how are you? Yes, Lee, I'm very well. How are you today? Yeah, okay. A little bit cold. It's a bit cold outside, but it's okay. I've, I've got my jeans on. I've, been, <laughs> I've, I've still been, got my shorts on. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, oh, I've been wearing shorts for the past two months, but today was today is a jeans day. Jeans and a hoodie. That's me. Did you did you get up to anything over the last few days? Because I've had a few days off. Um, have you done anything? Yeah, I was, I was at work. I was doing. I did a. I did a. Did I do? A, I did a story time on on Saturday. That was really fun. I did it with my daughter, and we did uh, Bear's Big Bottom. Uh, one of my daughter's favourite books uh, about uh, a bear with a big bottom and how it sort of gets in its way. There's a lot of lot of books out there designed around humour for children. And I think it's really, really important, actually. We just had Empathy Day and I was watching the Empathy Labs uh, kind of live conversation uh, with a few authors, including Cressida Cowell. And it was really good. And I would actually urge you to go to Empathy Lab and uh, watch that, actually, because it's a really good 45 minute to an hour conversation about empathy and children's books and how humour plays a big part in, um, in, in empathy of characters. Should we do some news, Lee? Yeah, sure. Why not? The highly specialist and unique Railway Studies collection is housed on the first floor of Newton Abbott Library. It is staffed by the Newton Abbott team, ably assisted by the Friends of the Railway Studies collection. It is accessible when the library is open and is believed to be second only in importance to that of the National Railway Museum in York. The collection was started in 1991 when some enthusiasts, including David St John Thomas of David and Charles the Publishers, got together and decided that as Newton Abbott was such a significant railway centre, it would be the ideal place for a railway studies collection, with an emphasis on the West Country. The then librarians of Torquay and Exeter were keen supporters, so books, passenger and working timetables, periodicals and photographs on a variety of media including slides and maps, covering railways, locomotives, the railway industry and railway personnel within the UK were collected and continue to do so. We are now actively promoting the collection on Facebook which is generating much interest and establishing working partnerships, as well as devising ways to encourage young people's use of the collection and developing an income stream from our copyrighted photographs. Hello, I'm Emily and I'm from Exeter Library. In Exeter, we like to work to support individuals that are homeless or rough sleeping. During lockdown, we have worked with the homelessness charity in the city, St Petrox, to get over 100 books to those individuals that have been placed in temporary accommodation. The books were transported to their new homes by the great people at Free Movement, who volunteered to cycle the books across the city. One of the things that Exeter Library does throughout the winter, and a few other libraries does this as well, is we have a free 
um, clothes rail where people can sort of donate their kind of winter clothes, hoodies, you know, that sort of thing. And anybody who needs them can just come and pick them up. Uh, it's something we started doing about two or three years ago. And it's like, it's like one of the best things I think that we do at Exeter Light because it's so simple. It's so straightforward, but it has such an impact. You see loads of people going up to this uh, rail and sort of looking through it and picking them up. And uh, I mean, it, it's labeled as the homeless, the homeless clothes rail, but it really is just for anybody who needs it as well. It's, 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 it's great. And uh, we've done, we, we've had people in from like Julian house, which is a local charity that helps homeless people. And, and as Emily just said, St. Petrox as well. So we work with a lot of people all the time uh, to, to kind of, help with the homeless uh, in, in our community. It's one of the things that I'm kind of most happy about at Exeter Library, to be honest. That's a really, really lovely idea. Um, uh, do you find that people just kind of come in and swap their clothes around or leave stuff for you then more? One of the things that can happen is that when it rains, uh, people come in um, and they, you know, they need like new clothes just because they're soaking wet and they've got nowhere else to go. And so they, they get wet. Um, and in those sort of circumstances, you know, they just sort of, kind of throw their old raggy clothes away and pick up some new ones but um you know we don't we don't reuse clothes like that but yeah a lot of people bring in bags of clothes sleeping bags rucksacks that people you know uh, don't need anymore but somebody else could really make do with the subject this week is you know it's tackling loneliness as well the libraries are really good at abating that i think you know we're very friendly people once somebody has braved uh, to come into the library because sometimes when you're lonely there's a there's also a, a you know there's a, a an anxiety about going into a place where there's lots of people there's yeah. a shyness to a lot of people that you just can't go up and talk to them but once you've gone through those doors and you've had that one experience that's good because normally it yeah. is with somebody especially a member of staff helping you yeah. those people come back and they become you know uh, less lonely because they're more involved with people around you yeah uh, it's just a natural thing it's it's very important i think the libraries do you, do you see that in extra library a lot it's, or not? it's it's something that i've i'm thinking about all the time during lockdown you know i think i think the the fact that the library buildings are closed is is a shame on so many levels like we want people to have books or dvds or whatever but for me, uh, the people that I remember the most are, are the kind of, I don't want to class them as lonely because they, they just might not be, but the regulars, you know, the people who come in all the time, the people who sort of really use the library every single day, um, they, a lot of them are kind of homeless and they use it as just a place to kind of like relax and, and read a book and uh, talk to the staff. And I just, if mm. I think the closure of the libraries to those people is just going to be really it's just going to hit them the, the most. It's going to hit them the worst. So I think about that all the time. Yeah, um, I agree. So, you, you know, you, you will find somebody will be there all day reading books yeah. or sitting there, you know, kind of reading the papers or whatever. Yeah. Because um, it's um, it's a safe space. It's, yeah. it's, it's warm, obviously, when it's wintertime. Yeah. And there are people around that you can chat yeah. to if you want to. And, and it's just such a nice, it's such a nice environment because, you know, like you come into Exeter Library, you know, and you, it's, it's, it's like a really safe space. Like you said, you know, you're welcomed in, you can grab yourself a seat, you can be there all day, you know, you can read your books and it, it just feels like such an inclusive space, you know, like I do worry about it a lot. It's one of the, when mm. we're, when we're open, I just want to, want to make sure that, you know, all those people, they've been, they're all right. You know, they've been looked after yeah. or they're looking after themselves over the past sort of two months, but uh 
Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. We've we've been contacting vulnerable people of all sorts throughout the lockdown, but there are some areas yeah um, that you can't our, you can't cust- you, you can't get to because like how yeah does because not every person has a phone or not every person has an address. Mm. Well, it won't be long, and our libraries will be open soon. Um, hopefully, I think uh, about a month and a bit, maybe something like that. But we'll yeah. we'll see we'll see how, how it goes. But we'll we'll be back open soon. So um, and welcoming everybody with uh, open arms and now we speak to Colin Bray health and well-being business development manager so Colin hello how are you hi Lee I'm very well thank you how are you yeah not too bad quite hot at the moment it's very hot (laughs) Colin your title is business development manager health and well-being I mean that sounds like a quite a grandiose title can you break that down for us what does that actually mean yeah, so this is with libraries, so libraries unlimited, yes. Um, so um, my role as it is now is to kind of frame our, uh, the li- what libraries can do to support health and wellbeing across Devon and Torbay. So some of that's around supporting partnerships and developing partnerships with, with organisations that can work with us. Some of it's around um, kind of developing ideas and funding support for those ideas, working with local libraries to see how they can support health and wellbeing. And of course, health and well-being includes not just the obvious things like physical health, etc., but obviously mental health and things that contribute or are risk factors for poor mental or poor health. So things like worklessness, digital support, things like that. Um, all the while acknowledging that most of the most of the real work goes on in libraries themselves. What about um, um, we've got books in the libraries? Um, they used to be called books and prescription. Is that something to do with you as well? Could you explain a bit about the books that we're getting through that uh, help with uh, all kinds of things, tackling issues for teenagers and adults? Sure. Yeah, books and prescription has been going for many years, and um, it's a national scheme by which um, uh, books are found, sourced, working with specialist organisations that are supporting particular people with particular needs or particular requirements around their health and well-being. So, particularly mental health. Um, young people around memory loss and dementia, long-term conditions. And these are all books that, it's not just about having a book in a library, it's about having a book that we know can be trusted, is validated, can be used and, and prescribed by health practitioners to support people. Uh, but also in a, in, a, in, a, in a non-threatening environment of a library, people can find the books uh, in a way that, you know, b- before they sometimes have the problem or in the early stages before they need to seek medical attention. So that's the, that's the purpose of Reading Well. And it's organised and, and, and um, coordinated by the Reading Agency from London. But we participate and uh, there are tens of, tens of thousands of books are borrowed in Devon and Torbay alone through this scheme each year. So it's a very powerful thing. It is. And every library has a selection of these books throughout Devon. Yes, and Torbay also. Um, it will vary from list to list because some of the lists have been around a long time. Uh, but the the aim is to get as many books into as many libraries as possible, and also many of the books are also available as ebooks as well, so they can be borrowed online too, for, um, which is obviously particularly useful at the moment. Yeah, and you mentioned that health practitioners can point you in the right direction towards libraries. Uh, you know, simply saying that doctors can prescribe a book to read, maybe instead of going into a different route. That's right. I mean, they can either do it formally. I mean, some of the leaflets that go alongside the books do have a you know, like almost like a little prescription slip almost for, for, for that kind of signposting. But otherwise, it may just be a, a conversation or uh, just a bit more, another another piece of information. Also, uh, GP practices, some of them will have information about the, the scheme on their screens, the plasma screens in waiting rooms. So that's another way for patients to see that it's there. You yourself, I mean, what, what's your experience with, with, with libraries and growing up with libraries? Did you 
ever kind of find in libraries when you were growing up books like this? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, well, some of this comes back to loneliness being a very quite, well, it is a subjective experience, which is quite a bit, one of its unique, almost unique essence really is that loneliness is quite, it's very personal and individual and it has to be defined by the person that's experiencing it. So I think in that context growing up, I was, uh, in a sense, I was, I was introverted and um, I, was, I, was, I read lots of books. So you could imagine I would have gravitated naturally to the library. Some of that might, you might come out of a sense of loneliness, but I wouldn't have thought of it as such. Uh, but when I did find the library, I found it as a place of refuge, as a place to, to sort of be comfortable, uh, to explore the world, to do all those things that we, we aim and aspire libraries to do now. Um, and I think some of that may have come from a sense of uh, looking for something and needing it and then finding it when I got there, whether it's loneliness or not, I don't know. But certainly I feel it was an introspective, uh, not particularly social child that actually that was a, a you know very powerful actually life-changing and I'm still here you know <laughs> still in libraries now so I want to share that like most of us working in libraries want to share that with people now really to show to continue that work. Um, there are other things and there are specific services that we offer um, as a library service uh, that can combat um, loneliness um, even more so. Uh, what, what other things could we uh, tell people about that's out there that we do? Well, I think, again, if I may touch on loneliness as an idea first and then we'll go from there, because I think that may shed some light on this. Um, as my understanding would be that loneliness isn't, well, first of all, it's not the same as being alone. So that feeds into you, what you said, Lee, about the power of reading and the power of the imagination, which is often a solitary, although it doesn't have to be a solitary pursuit, but it can be. And that, that in itself can address loneliness, even when somebody is not communicating with somebody else, they're communicating with their imagination. The other thing I was going to say was... Um, that I think what libraries do is, is, is not always to address obviously, yesterday we're gonna have a session about loneliness or an activity that addresses loneliness. It's about those risk factors that, so the library is not alongside the books that we, we people can borrow. There's obviously opportunities for people to discuss books and to share their experiences and feel connected with other people. There's opportunities to be creative in libraries. There's opportunities to get advice or guidance or support or help with learning something new. I think all those things have their own place and libraries are quite unusual, I think. And I don't know whether listeners will feel this, but libraries are quite unusual in being able to address all of these independently. Just sometimes we'll put on an activity or a library may do something that explicitly says, you know, we are seeking to reduce loneliness or we're seeking to bring people together to help put social connections. But And that's OK, too. And we do do that through things like our shared reading groups and also the volunteering opportunities we offer. But I think a lot of it is about saying each individual person has their own needs. And, and it's about mitigating the risk factors so that people, you know, don't get to a point where they generally feel desperate and lonely. And like you say, at this period, uh, especially during COVID and uh, the lockdowns, that's been prevalent. It's been very, very strong. We've all been very aware of it throughout the library service and things have been set in motion to, for instance, contact vulnerable customers. Um, have you heard any experiences or feedback about that service that we've offered the last few months? Sometimes it's just as simple as, you know, a general statement that says our customers are delighted to hear from us because they feel, you know, a library is a part of their life. It's part of their routine. If they go, if someone goes to a library every three weeks or every six, you know, however how often it is, when there's a break, people are going to miss it. So having that familiar voice is very powerful. There are some instances where libraries have also supported people to signpost people to other services, that, um, particularly the community response side of things. But on the whole, I think it's about more about the, the general look look you know we're all caring for each other we're all looking out for each other um we're still here we you know libraries are still open even if, even if the buildings are physically closed and it hope, hopefully that connection will keep people 
coming back to the library when they when when they reopen. Alongside that, I mean, we have statistics that says a lot more people have actually joined the libraries online while the service while the buildings have been closed, which I think is quite interesting. Sometimes there may be new connections we're building with customers, and that's brilliant. So. There are people out there that do struggle with IT and, and anything to do with online. Mm. How how can we help connect with them, not during this period necessarily, but gen- generally as a, as a service? So libraries in Devon and Torbay, um, they're called different things. So in Devon, the service is called li- uh, Home Library Service. Uh, and in Torbay, the service is called Books on Wheels. They're slightly different to each other, but the end purpose is very similar, which is to get books to people that need, that need them. Um, particularly people who can't otherwise get to the library, which obviously most of us at the moment. I think those people at this particular time are particularly vulnerable, of course, a lot of them. They may be older or, or, or have other reasons to be shielding. So currently, the, because the building library buildings are closed, the service, as it ran before, is closed also currently. The volunteers who, who, who really kind of work hard through the year to deliver books to people um, in Devon, it used to be with the Royal Voluntary Service, and it, from now on it will be our it, people will be delivering as our, as libraries volunteers. And in Torbay, the service is delivered by um, the Preston Torquay Rotary Clubs. Those people delivering have almost per, sometimes almost like a personal connection with the people they deliver to. So we've encouraged those volunteers, and we uh, are to keep contacting those customers during the lockdown. Um, so although they're not delivering books, they are still a valued person to them, and so we're encouraging that to happen. What I hear anecdotally is that quite a few people who wouldn't previously have engaged with digital, maybe older people, have actually started to during the lockdown because because they need it's the only way they can stay in contact with their families. So while it's not a universal thing, I would say that emerging out of this, there'll be more people with access to digital enabled, at least to use it for basic functions and, and things like video calls uh, and maybe some things like using the internet than probably did before. But we shouldn't be blasé because this is also highlighted where there's real chronic issues for people and how it's become so essential. Taking on Books on Wheels is quite a new thing for Libraries Unlimited. Could you tell us a little bit about the about this service down in, in, in Torquay and Painton and really what the main differences are between the ones that are running at the moment? You know, the, the aspect of delivering books is pretty much the same, which is that uh, volunteers um, will, will meet somebody who wants to join the service as a customer or a reader. And meet with them and find out what they would like to be reading from the library um, and then they'll make regular visits um, to the library to select books for that person or audio books for that person or large print books for that person based on the kind of the you know the conversations they've had sometimes they made their person may have placed requests for individual items as well so in Tor in Torbay libraries um, the, the rotary clubs uh, volunteers they work in a very similar way the difference being that they don't enter people's homes so they're, they're fundamentally a delivery service um, they might still have a chat with somebody on the doorstep, whereas the in Devon, the, the Home Library Service volunteers will actually, they may, they don't have to, but they may go in for a cup of coffee and say, how are you, and, and have a longer chat. But that's the main distinction between the two. In other ways, essentially, the service is very similar. You mentioned reading groups as well. Could you expand on that a little bit more? Uh, reading groups, yeah. I mean, we have, across across Devon and Torbay, I'm, I'm not sure what the number is at the moment. Is it around 250 reading groups, 275, something like that? I'm not sure at the moment. But that's a lot of people meeting monthly often to discuss books. Um, a number of them are, are held in libraries, but the bigger number, the larger number is held in the community, in people's homes, in pubs, uh, other social environments. And uh, the reading groups um, will vary because they vary according to the people. But usually the reading group service that we offer is that the reading groups can borrow sets of books that are the same or similar. In terms of reducing loneliness, I think it's an underestimated 
factor really reading groups are, are super powerful because not only are people um, meeting and, and meeting together to discuss the books but they're also reading the book with a view to talking about the book and I think that's quite an interesting connection and you find out so much about people who you wouldn't have otherwise met by discussing books in a shared space because people talk about their life experience they talk about um, you know um, other things they've read they give tips to each other some people have become friends and meet outside of the group so I think there's all those different elements and the age profile generally of reading groups trends older as well so so that's another kind of um connection because people often have a sort of demographic connection if you like if that's the right phrase I, you know so so i think that's um something i think most of us who work in libraries are very familiar with but we're always willing to take on more reading groups aren't we oh yeah always and um what i've noticed um because i obviously work in libraries as well is that, uh, that a lot of the groups that i know have have um, attacked technology with a passion and they're all on WhatsApp and things oh, like yes. that where they're actually I mean you run your own group don't you are you still running your group uh, yes I started a group um, six, 16 years ago in extra library or two groups but I started two groups next to library when I joined the library um, 16 years ago and they're both still running but I, I only kind of run one of them if you like one's the right word misrule I misrule one group, um, but you know we, we've continued meeting during the lockdown, so we've met three times via Zoom as well as a reading group. And some of some of our members are also shielding and probably won't be going to a library for quite some time. So, so that's you know another aspect to this, I think. There's there's an interesting stat here uh, that I've been reading about families actually. And Action for Children have reported twenty four percent of parents surveyed said that they were always. Uh, or often lonely that really surprises me how how can we combat that as a service yeah well the reading well has a string to its bow if you like so one of the lists we have is a reading well for children which is the newest list actually and that's partly to um accommodate the emerging evidence around um around loneliness and children some of it i think it's hard to say isn't it cause and effect some of it i think is because we're talking about loneliness a lot more and and young people are kind of soaking that up. Children are soaking that up, and then they, they begin to identify feelings they may not have previously identified as loneliness. Almost like I get back to my point about kind of being a child myself, when probably we didn't have the language for these things. I think social media is probably playing a part as well on the distancing of people. The kind of the, the reluctance of parents to let children play together outdoors, you know, probably comes into it. And then you have this current situation as well. So you can see how all these things would come together. So in terms of libraries, yes, the reading well, um, we have. Um, in the school holidays we have the summer reading challenge there's lots of opportunities for children to engage with the library during that time and that means coming back to the library weekly often and that builds that regular regularity and connection and we have opportunities for young people to volunteer as well so i think they're all they're all aspects of this and then involving young people our services where we can so when we designed um redesigned talky children's library that was very much that was very much designed with young people a group of young people in a facilitated process um so that when they do come into the library they could feel it's their space um, and again, all these things are just touching on the subjects. It's a huge topic, but there are lots of different clubs uh, out there for um, children that we offer as well. You know, everything from Lego clubs, but there's also writing clubs and there's teenage group clubs and things like that. Um, where where would people go and find that information, Colin, or any or any of this information actually? So, so much of what you're talk we're talking about, and that you mentioned all these clubs and things. Um, so much of it is down to the energy and the efforts of local staff in local libraries. So they'll reflect what the community wants, it reflect what the building can achieve, it reflect the interest and energy of the staff. Um, and actually these things won't happen without the staff and the volunteers who, who make them happen. So I think the best thing to do is go to your local library or contact your local library, either on social media or through email, 
uh, to ask, really ask and find, or to look on the on the Libraries Unlimited or Devon Libraries or Torbay Libraries websites to to see what's available both now through online services because we're doing everything we can to deliver services even while buildings are closed, but also um, ongoing through the next um, you know six to twelve months. And I think also if people have ideas about what they would like to either do in a library for themselves, because as much as possible, we want the public and customers to deliver, not to necessarily deliver services, but A, tell us what they want to do, us to do, but also then help us achieve it where it's appropriate. So things like Fun Palaces is very much, which is in October, which is very much about the community using libraries for themselves. So that, you know, then it really does reflect the community it's in. So it's not just about us telling communities what they should be doing or we should be doing for them. It's about people telling us and then something where necessary and helpful actually working with us to, to, to get, it, get it done. And also looking into the future when obviously one day we are back in our libraries, which I'm sure won't be too long. Um, there, there are the space itself, like you say, has offered all kinds of things from children's spaces to events. But there's also that idea of hiring as well. So if you have a group um, or, or you're thinking of starting up a group that tackles an issue of any kind, yeah, yeah. Uh, they can. They can contact the library and they can hire, as, you know, coming along and, and creating either a group or bringing along an assistant group in, into the building. I, mean, I was at Barnstable Library and I looked at the room bookings for a week and totted up you know, I can't remember the exact figures, but something like about 65 different organisations use the rooms in Barnstable in a given week. Um, and of those groups, about nearly half of them were connected in some way to health and wellbeing. Now, it's not it's not the library staff or even the library space, traditional library space that that work is being done, but it's in the rooms. And um, so, you know, patient support groups, um, you know, appointment services, uh, social groups and activities. They're happening in those rooms and it's I consider it a sort of a, a part of the library service even if we're not directly delivering so there's all the potential to use buildings like that because I think part of it is when people someone comes to a library they don't think of themselves as a student like they would in a school or as a patient like they would when they go to a GP practice they just think they generally just think of themselves as themselves coming into a library so I think there's a space there to explore all sorts of ideas of identity accessing services in ways that people you know can do more freely when they trust the space they're in they're not being judged they're not self-identifying with anything they're just going along into a community space does that make sense oh yeah absolutely well colin we've we've um, covered quite a lot is there anything else that you'd um, want to throw in the mix there before we finish so um yeah i think um we there's another aspect to this which is libraries have, have kind of changed to become we tended to be passive kind of suppliers of culture if you like um, but I think we moved to the sort of more to the creative cycle now. So libraries are both spaces where people make and can do things and create things themselves, which has all sorts of benefits for them. Um, but also spaces where people are performing and then also audience and becoming audiences for creative work or um, events and activities that they're watching other people to deliver. And all those things, you know, that if you look at the arc of creativity, in, in some way, I think libraries are getting much closer to addressing all the parts of that cycle or that arc. Uh, so I think that's another aspect we've not really been able to touch on, but our, our creative and artistic um, contributions really into communities. And again, in the space that's non-artistic and creative traditionally, um, so that people can feel maybe that they can, they can get closer to it than they would in a theatre or in another space or an art gallery. Um, I think it's still more work to be done there, but I think there's, there's huge potential. And what's the arc of creativity? The arc of creativity. <laughs> I'd say the arc of creativity is, is, well, actually, I'll call it the creative cycle, which is going from you might read a book and then you might write a book and then you might 
sell a book or you might, you know, it's kind of going from being a consumer of culture to being a creator of culture. So uh, the Home Library Service you, you've talked about, how can uh, people contact these services? Well, if there is actually an email address that will take inquiries um, for new um, new readers or new customers, which is home.library at libriesunlimited.org.uk. And that would cover both Devon and Torbay. That's one way of doing it. There's also a, a page on each of the Devon and Torbay Libraries websites under the Health and Wellbeing banner um, that gives more information, including the phone number for the customer service centre or, or kind of details about how they, people can contact their own library to find out more. But if people want to either volunteer or to receive the service, then inquiries can go through the local library or, or, the, or the email address or the customer service centre by phone. So there are all ways in which people can contact us. To, uh, to either ask questions or to come forward for services or to deliver services. Again, I also wanted to say thank you to all the volunteers, you know, over many years, actually, in many cases, who have been delivering books to people, because without them, obviously, the service wouldn't run. Um, and they're very much part of the library service, as, as we all see it, I think, in terms of delivering services to people where they need it. Just one very last quick question. What are you reading at the moment? It's a book called 1234, which is about the Beatles. It's kind of capsules in time of, of turning points in Beatles history or, or and or just cultural touch points. So there's a chapter on the Ed Sullivan show, etc. Now, anyway, so that's what I'm reading at the moment. And also still plowing my way through Daredevil comics from the beginning. So I'm now up to Daredevil issue 215. That's taken me about 18 months so far. Um, so I'm up to 1984 now. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Colin. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. So the Home Library Service used to be run by the Royal Voluntary Service, but uh, as of the 1st of April, Libraries Unlimited actually took it over ourselves. Of course, the 1st of April happened right in the middle of lockdown, so we've, we've not been able to kind of like uh, sort of carry out that, that service as we would have liked, but I worked a lot with the volunteer coordinator uh, for Exeter uh, and Columpton while I was there. And the work that those volunteers do, taking books to uh, individuals who, for whatever reason, uh, can't leave the house, find it difficult to leave the house, um, is, it, the work that they do is amazing. They care so much about their clients, about their customers. Uh, it is so much more than a book service. Yes, they take the books to them, but they go in, they ask, they, they have a really nice chat about their families, about their lives. They sit down, a cup of tea. It just, honestly, it sounds like if I, <laughs> if I wasn't sort of working full time for the library service, I would want to be a home library volunteer because it just, it just sounds like so rewarding so brilliant um uh, i can't wait to sort of see how libraries limited handle it so um yeah i mean one one of the great things is that you know it's a voluntary service always in need of volunteers so if you're interested out there um please do contact uh, devon libraries and we'll uh, set you up as being a volunteer it's time for the lightning review so it is now time to get into our famous segment, the Lightning Book Review. I have a very special guest with us today. We've got a Heather Chapman who looks after Princeton Library, but also does a bit of work in Tavistock Library. She joins me now. Hello, Heather. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm really excited about this. We're sort of getting into the flow with our Lightning Reviews. People are showing sort of, you know, that they can really say a lot in a minute are you feeling confident do you are you feeling confident that you can do this reasonably confident it depends which book you choose 
Well, yeah, I suppose it always does just depend on yeah. what book we choose. Um, is, how are you enjoying or, or how are you doing with the lockdown at the moment? Have you guys got anything exciting going on your way? Well, I think up on, up on the top of the moor, it's it's not that different from from a lot of the normal time because it's not particularly busy up here, um, certainly where I live. Um, looking forward to getting back into into the library and getting it open because it because it's such a thing for the community. Yeah. Same with same with Tavistock. You know, I'm down in Tavistock two days a week, and I think just getting people back into the into the libraries as well as engaging digitally is, um, I'm yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Once the doors open, it's like a step towards normality, isn't it? And I think, I think, I think that sort of physical presence is missing from a lot of people. We're going to try something a little bit different today. I'm actually going to ask you to review one of the DVDs that you've had on your on your out on your card. And the DVD that I would like you to review is Saving Mr. Banks, directed by John Lee Hancock. I can do that. Um, so Saving Mr. Banks is the backstory to Mary Poppins. Um, and it, it's um, about um, <laughs> the author of Mary Poppins, his name's completely It's about her as a, as a character and as a person. And and her background and what she brought into the Mary Poppins um, films. Because we, we watch Mary Poppins and we see all the jolly, jolly um, songs and happy ending. And, and it was about the process of creating that and her relationship um, with Walt Disney. And it wasn't an easy relationship. It wasn't an easy film um, to create. But the fact that at the end of it, we do have Mary Poppins, which is such a classic. It, it really it illuminates the film and it makes you watch it in a very different way. Um, and I would definitely recommend it if you've not seen it. Well, there you go. That, 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 I don't know whether you heard that beep, but that means that the review is over. That was very, very good. Well done. Um, <laughs> how did you feel like that went? Well, it's, it's scary, just that waiting for that moment of when you're going to say what it is, because you're thinking, oh, I've actually had quite a few things, I and mean, it could be any of them, and or, am I going to remember it? But yeah, no, it's, I think it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting way to do it, because you'll get a very honest reaction. Heather, thank you so much um, for doing yeah, that with you, okay. um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your lockdown. Thank you, not for, thanks very much yeah, for coming on. Likewise, and good luck with the podcast. I'm sure it's going to go from strength to strength and be really well, really good. Okay then, we're at the end of the podcast. Thanks, Callum. Another really fascinating podcast. Um, what are we looking forward to next week? Uh, next week we are getting technical. Uh, we're having conversation with the two managers uh, of the Barnstable and Exeter Fab Lab. So watch out for that. And that's it. Thank you very much yet again for listening to the Libraries Unlimited podcast. If you wish to find out more about Devon Libraries, do go over to devonlibraries.org.uk and if you wish to donate, there's also an option there as well. We'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.